Here we are with the Wacky World of Diabetes podcast, and I am very pleased to have my guest today is Eric Verhoff from Seagrove. Is it Partners or is it uh, Partners? It is. It is. So before we get into the gist of the this podcast, why don't you tell people, you know, who you are, where you came from, and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I've been in uh, healthcare for about thirty years. I started in Chicago, your, your hometown. At a healthcare consulting firm, we did hospital stuff that's called the Tiber Group, which is no longer anymore. And then from there, we became the cell site analyst at William Blair and at Susquehanna covering pharmaceuticals. Worked in pharma at Bristol Myers and then GSK and eventually made it back to here to San Diego and worked for a company called Biosite, which was a point of care diagnostics company in the cardiovascular space. That company got bought out and a bunch of us went over to, to form uh, Tandem Diabetes. Then the other group from Biosite went over to Dexcom. So it's kind of an interesting split of where people went uh, from there. And that was back in 2007. So I was at Tandem for about 10 years and ran marketing there, uh, strategy and business development, did all their fundraising, had a, a great experience at that company and uh, left in 2016 to, to form my own company, uh, which is Seagrove Partners. We, we do two things. We do custom market research consulting for device companies, nonprofits, farming. And then we do, we have a syndicated offering where we publish something pretty much every month, whether it's primary market research or secondary market research. And we just uh, launched an international offering so that, you know, we, people do market research studies in Europe, Canada, Australia, and some of these markets that are, that are growing pretty nicely for the device uh, market. So that's me. So just to clarify a little bit, although you are, you have a history of diabetes, what you do now isn't just diabetes focused, correct? It's about 90%. We did launch an oncology syndicated offering last year. So that keeps me super busy. I had to go to MIT and take classes just to understand what was going on there. But yeah, between oncology and diabetes, that is all we do. And, and in diabetes, you're more device focused than you are drug focused, correct? I'd say that's fair. Now, you, I'm assuming as well, since you, you know, you do have a pump background, you know, Tandem being, you know, a pump company. You're also, I'm sure, involved with some of the newer connected pens, those devices as well. Yeah, that's, that's correct. We have, we actually publish an interactive Excel forecast model for our clients. And so it's got, the CGM world, the pump world, and the pen world, and they all kind of interact together you know, in this model, but we do quite a, a bit of research in that space. Give people a little bit of perspective of, you know, you've been around for a while. You know, where do you where do you kind of think, you know, you're looking at the world today, and I look at this, you know, we're, we're, we're very similar in that, you know, you get all these connected devices doing all these different things. You know, if you had to look out, let's say, five years from today, where do you think we'd be? I'd say, you know, on the type one side, I've got, you know, the, the CGM market kind of topping out around 80%, just because I think there's going to be some people who don't want to wear something, you know, on their body. They're, they're happy with either episodic CGM use or with finger sticks, or it could be an insurance issue for them. They just don't want to, you know, pay the copay for it. On the pump side, that's, a, that one's a little bit harder to forecast. You know, I've always kind of been, you know, it's, you get to a point where, you're at 50% penetration and we're at 30 some on, you know, low 30s right now. But once you get to 50, then you're competing against the smart pens. You're competing against, you know, people that just like using syringes or again, they don't want to, you know, pay a thousand dollars up front for a pump. 
or they don't want to wear an Omnipod. So there's a whole bunch of various reasons. And I get a lot of pushback on that, you know, because with the automated systems and with the, the data and the outcomes that come out, you know, people are like, well, why, why wouldn't, you know, there be 70 or 80 percent penetration on the pop side? And so I, my model kind of, you know, tops out at that 50 percent, but I think it's, it's going to vary depending on how much the doctors push it. You know, when they, if they see that you can get 80 percent time and range plus on a 780G or control IQ or Omnipod 5, you know, they may strongly, you know, kind of push that technology to their, to their patients. On the type two side, I think the next five years is actually kind of more exciting. I think we've, we've seen a lot of technology innovations in the last five years on, on type one, but I think going forward, it's going to be, you know, kind of working around the edges about which algorithm kind of works better than the other. But on the type two side, you've got Ozempic and Trulicity and these once weeklies and Rybelsis and Terzepatide from Lilly, you know, coming out that are extremely efficacious. You know, they, they actually have their own data point in the clinical trial they did for Terzepatide in phase three, which is the percent of people who no longer have diabetes after the, the trial. And it was like 60%, you know. So, and, and in addition, you get a weight loss of anywhere between 10 and 15% body mass. Yeah. You know, I hate to interrupt you, but it, you know, it's, it's earlier today I was talking to somebody and, it, and rarely have I seen so much anticipation for a drug as I did for the, you know, the It's the data is outstanding. And, you know, you, you know, I, I agree with you. It's like, you know, there's always been this, what I call transition where GLP ones are the greatest thing because quote unquote, they're not insulin. And you and I both understand that a lot of patients view moving to insulin therapy as a personal failure. Whereas they see a GLP one, you know, that's not insulin. I only got to take it once a week. And my God, I'm getting weight loss. You know, so. And obviously that impacts like one of your, like insulin, for example, as you know, they've been making some pretty good inroads in the insulin using type two space. And, and that kind of drug might slow that down a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's the key kind of modeling trick is to, to figure out, you know, is this a delay in progression to insulin or is it, do you just remove that population altogether? you know, from the, the available market. And then on top of that, you have also very efficacious SGLP2s, which have the cardiovascular benefits, renal benefits, all these things that you're seeing. So I just think the, you know, the, the pace of uh, innovation in type 2 has been good, but very slow the last 10 years. And now I think we're, we're at this, like, tipping point where, you know, you're either going to delay people getting on insulin or for those non-compliant, you know, type 2s that, are only taking their pills 40% of the time, these once-weekly injections, I think, really address that, that compliance issue. Now, how would you, if you had to look, okay, we've got, obviously, the domestic market here. Can you explain to everybody, like, the differences between some of the international markets and how they're different than what we have here? Yeah, yeah, I think the natural opinion that you hear from people is, well, it's, you know, insulin is so expensive in the United States, and everything's great in Europe, and you get all these things for free. That is true for insulin. You know, for the most part in our research, country by country in Europe, you do get insulin. You know, that's part of the package. But CGM, very spotty. It depends on kind of like which city you live in. And, you know, there's a lot of these little regional decision-making bodies that when they run out of money, so let's say COVID's hitting their, their, their economy, they'll start cutting things like CGM, you know, right away. Pumps are even harder, you know, to, to get reimbursed. I think still in France, 
they're, they haven't approved a 670G or whatever. One of the major ones. It was, you know, they're, they're just, they're very, they're very into these outcome studies and also having to prove on a yearly basis that your product is providing outcomes. And so you kind of have to sign up for that, you know, if you want to get reimbursement, get coverage in Europe. For a lot of companies, it's a very distributor, uh, distributor based business model. You know, so Tandem is, is heavily using distributors to get their product out right now. And, you know, Insulate did that as well and then converted to a direct business model, which you can do, you know, after a while and kind of figure out, you know, how to get this, these things covered and, and reimbursed. But once you do, you know, people, a lot of people don't realize that the type one market in Europe is actually a little bit bigger than the United States. So it is a very large market. It's just that typically your pump will get reimbursed at about half of what it gets reimbursed here, but your disposables get reimbursed at a higher level. So if you're in it for the long haul and you want to build that you know, disposable revenue stream, it's worth it, you know, from a, from a net profit standpoint. Well, do you see, like, do you see any particular country or region maybe that's more progressive than others? Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that the Scandinavian countries, uh, including Denmark um, and Germany, are the, the, the more progressive ones. You know, they're the ones that you're going to launch, you know, 780G first in and, you know, and see, you know, the, the newest CGM uh, offerings. And then there are some company countries that are also, they're very progressive when it comes to pediatrics. Like in Poland, I think if you have type 1 diabetes, everything's covered, you know, until you're like age 25. And you wouldn't expect Poland to be like one of those out there, but, you know, they have a kind of a progressive view on diabetes. And then, you know, once you kind of get out to Eastern Europe, it gets really spotty. You know, they're, they're covering like the 530G or, you know, the older pumps and stuff. They're not getting kind of the newer technologies that, that you see in Western Europe. Now, are you, you know, let, let's talk about some specific companies. Let's go, I don't mean to go back and forth, but, you know, you talked about CGM. And, you know, do you see a place for a company like, let's, like, Sensionics? You know, it's an implantable. You still have to wear something on your body. You know, what do you, what do you think about something like that? I just don't know what, you know, I think Kevin Sayer always kind of asked that question. What is the problem you're trying to solve you know, with your product? Which I like to frame things like the way he does that. And I don't know what the problem they're trying to solve is, you know, because with a 14 day or 10 day sensor wear, that with these application applicators that are very easy to use, it's not like CGM was you know 20 years ago, yeah, where it's kind of scary. And you look at Libre three and, and G seven, their their profiles are so you know flat and you know their the technology is great. I mean, it's really good. And for for me to then say, okay, I'm going to give up that option and go in for a surgical procedure four times or twice a year, whatever, you know, whatever form of ever since you're using. And by the way, I got to get it taken out and that thing migrates, you know, and where they're putting it kind of in your skin. And sometimes it's hard for them to find it. I don't know what the problem is you're trying to solve there other than a compliance issue, maybe for, you know, people that just don't want to swap it out every, every two weeks. But for, for me personally, I don't want something in my body. I know the technology is really good. You know, their, their MERD is good. And, you know, it's, it's a team that has been around diabetes and they, they know what they're doing, but I just don't see that there's a large market for that. What about, let's say, you know, you know, it's pretty acknowledged that up until recently, the Medtronic centers have been a little bit below par. What's your view of what they're doing now, where they're going, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I think the new kind of new regime there is I like the fact that they they didn't kind of overpromise things last year. You know, I think they're they're kind of executing on what on what they did promise. We don't know yet how the zoo sensor is going to perform. You know, that is not out in Europe, even though 780G is out, so they're still using Guardian 3. But once we get more data on that and whether it's a once a day calibration or kind of what the configuration is, then I think that that will help their their pump sales. And then eventually once you get to Synergy, where they're more on par with what Dexcom and, and, and Abbott has, then I think you've got Medtronic kind of coming back as a growth player because their their algorithms do work very well. I think they're they have a good pump and it's always been the CGM, you know, that, that's held them back. And so Tandem's kind of been spotted this, you know, three years or whatever it is of of just, you know, being the only Dexcom integrated pump out there, which has been great for them. But it's it's one of those one of those things where it wasn't so much because of their pump, it was because of the CGM integration. Would, do you think in your opinion that that Medtronic will ever become a player like a, in what I call the standalone CGM market? Yeah, you know, I think until just recently, this last quarter, their growth has been coming from standalone CGM. So I don't know if that's because they've been aggressive on in contracting or, you know, or if it's the Sugar IQ integration with the app, which, you know, I think is a, is a pretty good app. And it's one of those things that's going to iterate kind of over time. But yeah, with the Synergy product, I, I do see that they, they'd be part of that standalone group, you know, for sure. What's your, what's your thoughts on their acquisition of Companion and what they're doing there? I think that was really smart. Uh, and I was actually pretty surprised that they got the CGM integration done so quickly after acquiring the company. And to me, it, it gives them this kind of, I like to view things like from a salesperson's standpoint, like a rep. What, what can a rep now say in the doctor's office? So the Medtronic rep can say, Hey, we've got, you know, we've got sugar IQ for your, you know, your people that just want to wear a standalone CGM. We have companion, which is integrated with a CGM and it's for people that just don't want to go on a pump, but gives them all the benefits or 90% of the benefits, as Sean St. like, likes to say, of pump therapy with some pretty advanced, you know, apps and algorithms. And then, you know, once you want to go from there, we have the most advanced, you know, closed loop system on earth, you know, with a 780G. And time and range, you know, whatever they're going to, you know, be able to claim at 80% plus. So it's, you know, they can play in the kind of, you know, heavy, uh, you know, more advanced end of things for the power users and they can play kind of in the MBI space. And I think, you know, given that if I'm a pump company like, you know, Insulet or Tandem, they probably should do the same thing and, and find offerings for the, that non-pump, you know, population. And then, you know, to help that transition and eventually get them on a pump. Is, is there, is there anything in, like in tandem or, well, you know, we all know about the Omnipot 5, the old horizon, whatever they want to call it. What's your opinion of the sport from tandem? The, it's in the development. Maybe you could tell everybody what, what it is. And- so sport is something actually that came out of uh, focus groups that I did in 2009. That's how old it is. So we were, we were showing some early mock-ups of T-Slim and somebody said in the focus group, well, why don't you take that heavy glass touch screen off of it and just have the pump remaining, you know, how small could you get it? And you know, have a remote controller of some sort. Right? I think the ping was was out or you know that concept of a remote controller was definitely out there in with insulin as well. And so then we started doing industrial models on it and coming up with different uh, versions. And one version was going to be that because it used the same cartridge as T Slim, 
you could swap it back and forth. So you could use your T-Slim if you wanted to, or on the weekend, use your Sport. And then your T-Slim, the actual pump would be a remote controller. So we kind of played around with all that and figured, well, that's going to be kind of an expensive way to do things. And so now Tandem has gone actually with a different cartridge, you know, than, than T-Slim uses. But it's that con- same concept of not having the screen and the, all the electronics on board and having, it's, it's, they're probably kind of like a quasi patch pump. It still has the infusion set, like a short infusion set that you can disconnect from, but it's not a true like patch, like with the auto inserter, like Insula has. And then the, the, the question is whether they're going to have phone control or have this separate controller that you need. And so they've kind of, I think, been going back and forth on that strategy, whereas Insula, you know, from the very beginning said, we're going with phone control, you know, just right out of the gate. And I think that that, to me, is the biggest difference. And Tandem may not even launch with a separate controller. You know, if they see that Omnipod 5 has got a lot of success because of that phone controller, they may just wait and use that as a predicate, you know, for sport to launch there. So the, the, the difference between those two products really comes down to do you want to disconnect or not? And to me, I think that was important more in the past than it is today. You know, today you hear that when everybody talks about their uh, closed loop system performance, it's time in closed loop. So why would you want to encourage people to disconnect from your pump if you're, if you're going for that, that argument that you should always be in closed loop? So, and I think that's, that's going to be something that, that insulate could really hit on is because this is attached to your body, you're always going to be in closed loop. We all know that, you know, Lily did a deal with Yipsomed for their, you know, you know, Novo really has never really expressed a lot of interest in the pump space. Any thoughts on Lily putting their toes in there? Yeah, I mean, it's the meds one of those com- uh, companies that we featured in our um, international book, and they have a, a, a footprint that's pretty, you know, large in Europe. You know, they've been around as a distributor for a long time, and they were Inslux distributor, and it's the, it's the old Decentronic game of people there. So they know this, the, the space pretty well, and I think they, they looked at the U.S. and said, hey, we're, we're not going to try to build an infrastructure here to, to sell this. Really, I think if you're like, well, why would they want to get the pump business? They're interested in selling more insulin. You know? And so if this is a, a pre-filled cartridge that you're using, even though it's 1.6 mLs, you know, it, it's still more, you're selling more insulin there. And eventually, you know, they, they have their eye on this whole closed loop system themselves, you know, with their smart pen and their pump they're building. And the, the question is, does the Ipsumid thing, is that going to be a distraction for them for the, the rest of this kind of ecosphere that they're talking about? And do they just stop at, you know, at, at, at selling the Ipsumid pump or do they go forward with these other offerings? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think for both Novo and, you know, the Sanofis of the world and the Lilies of the world, once you start to see companies like Insulet get into the 70% margin, it becomes a lot more attractive to, to, to them look at, you know, getting into the device space because in the past it's always kind of been like in the fifties or something. And from a pharma company to layer on a 50% margin, when you're trying to get 80% margins, it just doesn't work, you know, from a bean counting standpoint. Now, when you, when you, I mean, you know, you know, I like to write a lot and you can't swing a dead cat these days without talking about digital health and digital diabetes. And obviously that interplays with the device world very well. I mean, you know, that, you know, I always write about Tyler, or a smart pen, an app and a CGM. If you look out, what do you see? A, you know, who do you think are the best players there? And B, what do you think it's going to look like? I guess what I'd say in a post-COVID world. 
right now, I think the the person who really got that right was Sean at, at Companion. And you know, if you look at their app, and he he kind of approached things from somebody who uses these products, and he just wanted everything to be like seamless, and you know, you can immediately create a PDF to, and print that out instead of just sending it to the cloud. You know, there are always like, these little tricks that are in their software that. I think both the clinicians and the, the users of the product really kind of appreciate being able to use a bolus wizard or not, you know, to have just deliver, you know, units of insulin versus, you know, having to count carbs. Mm-hmm. You know, these type of things I think made his, I think he was doing all this like three years ago too. So, I mean, he was like way ahead of the game of, of, and, and also at that point, not even having CGM integration. So now he's got that piece to it. And I think these other companies, when they look at their smart pens and connected care offerings, first they got to get through the FDA, which they haven't been able to do. So they've been delayed there forever. Then they've got to get the first product out. Then they've got to get their app out. Then they've got to get CGM integration. So he's got a, a head start now Medtronic of like five years, you know, and when working with insurance to get it covered, distributors, and you could go pick it up at Walmart and whatever. So I think that that having invested in that early on, I think has really helped companion. And you know, Medtronic has a lot of these pieces too, the neutrino and all these things that they kind of acquired. The question is, you know, can you effectively put that all in one package where it's obvious that these things work together, or is it going to look like a patchwork of kind of you know acquisition companies you know out there? So have you have you looked at all or, or done any? Insight into like, for example, like what a company like LifeScan is building or OneDrop or MyDario. You know, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I think there, there's so many of them out there now that the, the question, you know, Roche has theirs as well. Uh, the question is what, what differentiates it from the other ones? They're all going to have some kind of, you know, bolus wizard or, you know, way to count carbs and, you know, track things and store data and whatever. But how, how easy do you make it for people to follow you? You know, Clarity, whenever we do market research on those systems, Clarity always scores number one. Like everybody loves Clarity from uh, the, you know, the CDEs and the endos that are out there. And the, the, the Libre view also scores very well. And so those are kind of like, you know, CareLink has, has always been, you know, something that has scored well, but it's kind of dropped over time as the Clarities and the Libre views have kind of come onto the market. You know, we built T-Connect from, from scratch, you know, which took a lot of time, took a lot of money to get there, but they probably have, I think, a, a pretty good product. And so the, the question is, it depends on which device you're using. So if you're a pump user and you're getting T-Connect for free or you're getting Gluco for free, you know, from Insulet and Carolink, why do you want to then go use a separate app? So the separate apps are really going to be focused more on the type two space or the non-pumpers. And, you know, I just, I just don't see that there's a lot of differentiation out there. You know, if, if you have a separate device, like a CGM, and you have your own app and you want to mine some of that data and create reports and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But I just don't, I don't see much of a market for the standalone app part of it, I guess is what I'm trying to, trying to say. Is it of your opinion, you know, because there's a lot of debate going around, you know, you've got all these major tech guys. You got Apple, you got Google, you got Amazon, you got Facebook. Think they're going to stick around for a while or are they just going to play on the edges? I think the one that I think would stick around and you can see kind of like in the, the people that they're hiring is Apple. You know, they're, they're the ones that seem to, to know the most about how to 
take the chronic disease, put it onto the, the management of that, onto the watch, and make it actionable and, and, and you know, have people be engaged with it. And I've like I've tried out Noom, for instance. I thought that was ridiculous. And they're like, hey, did you, you know, did you log your food today? They keep pestering you. And it just I found that just like a really frustrating spirit. But when I wear my Apple Watch, everything is just designed so well. And it's in the right place. And there's the right amount of encouragement and prodding and you know, the, that kind of thing. And I think that they they're the ones if I was a diabetes, you know, a device company, I'd be worried about, you know, Apple kind of coming in. With their own sensor, with their own you know software, and putting it on the watch. Well, they certainly have the money to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think Amazon is. I, I no, I, I just we'll see what what they do on this kind of you know pharmacy side uh, of things. But I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm they're not high on my list for you know somebody that's going to disrupt the space on the device end of things. So well, anything, any thoughts on like what Barely is doing with Unduo or that, you know, that just seems to have gotten really quiet here recently. So I think, you know, you look at Lavongo and the success that they've had, you know, you've, you've got to say, well, there's got to be something, you know, of value at Unduo, you know, given the amount of experience they had. And like, there's been so much turnover at that company. I just don't know kind of what's going on there. But Lavongo is, is funny. I was trying, I was putting together a, profile of them for one of our reports and checking on LinkedIn to see kind of where everybody went. And they're all like retired. <laughs> they made so much money. They're like, I'm on sabbatical. You know, I'm retired. So it was a, I was, I was really shocked to see how much that, that company went for. And it's one of those things, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's going to attract a lot more people trying to do that same model, you know, going forward. Now, if you, you know, Give our listeners something like that's way out there that you just think like this, this has a chance to be really big and nobody's ever heard of it. What, what, what do you, what, what is that for you? Oral insulin. There's a company in Israel called Oramed. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they have, they're in phase three trials. Well, let's clarify just so people understand the difference between a fresha, which is an inhaled insulin and what Oramed had, which is a, is a pill. It's a pill. Yeah. It's a pill that's in phase three right now. And, you know, they did a phase two study that, you know, showed pretty decent A1C reduction, but it was a short study. And so I think, you know, in their phase three trial, if something like that is kind of equivalent to the DPP-4s or, you know, the, the whole reason anybody went on a DPP-4 was because they were afraid to go to insulin. You know, they just, it was one of those, it, it wasn't very efficacious, but they're pretty safe and, you know, it was a pill. So if you ha- actually have good efficacy, and it actually is insulin, I could see that being used much earlier on in the treatment cycle than having to deal with TZDP4s, all these kind of things that don't, they have issues, you know. And then the question. That would be used before remorsis? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And because a lot of people don't, like, let's just take the SGLT2s, for instance. A lot of people don't realize about 30% of people can't take those for various tolerance issues. You know, and so that's a fairly large market. And then when you, you're talking about a ribelsis where you've got to, you know, take it in the morning at a certain time with you know, a certain amount of water, there's, there's going to be some compliance, you know, issues there. One of our surveys actually asked that we just have in the field right now for your patients that went on ribelsis, where did they come from? Like what, what therapy were they on? 80% of them were on metformin only. So that, that was like really interesting. And I think that's to me was the, 
was the little alarm bell that went off for the Oramid product. And like, if you could get a Ribelsis being used that early and not going through the rest of these things and you're actually insulin and potentially have a better side effect profile, then, you know, there's, there's a pretty large market for that. That's good to see. Anything else that like, you know, okay, so, you know, we've got this world of pumps, we got this world of pens, you know, get all this new stuff. Is there anything else that like, just, you, you look at it and you say, hmm, you know, that's, that could change things. I mean, you know, we, listen, we, we, we both know that, you know, patient access is an issue that we talk about all the time. You know, as you correctly pointed out, not everybody has access to all these toys. You know, any, any, anything that you see that might change the game a little bit? Yeah, two things. One, still on the insulin part of things, is the, the once weekly Novo insulin. I think that's huge. I mean, the, the data look great for that, that product. And from a compliance standpoint, you know, you, you can start to see, you know, combinations of that with a GLP-1 on a weekly basis and getting really good efficacy there. And then on the, the device side, I would, you know, we did a report, uh, last year, uh, called our CDM market primary. So we, we profiled like 40 different companies that were early stage, C, you know, trying to come up with the next CGM. And I think, you know, a lot of those companies didn't get funded because people looked at the Libre 3 video and the G7 video. They're like, there's no way we're going to compete with these guys. And then Medtronic coming up, you know, with, with their new sensors. So I, you know, that to me had always been of interest to say, you know, can you have a non-prescription wearable, you know, for type twos where they didn't have to wear it all the time? They can get it on Amazon. And I think those products will eventually kind of come out. And, you know, the question is, because the when we do work with payers and we ask them, you know, are you going to pay for somebody to go on CDM that's not using insulin? Their answer right now is no, we're not. You know, it, our our non-insulin using patients are only using a strip a day, and you you calculate the cost of that versus paying to put somebody on a on a CGM. Just, they haven't seen the outcomes yet. But if you can have, you know, these wearable devices that are priced effectively enough that I think and, and make that argument, you don't have to do finger sticks anymore. Then I think that that could be a pretty exciting market. And I've always thought that, you know, on the other end of the spectrum where you've got more advanced sensor technologies from Abbott and from uh, Dexcom, the more things they add to the, their analytes make it really interesting. Can they be just, can they go beyond diabetes? And measure things like blood pressure and ketones and some of these other things too. I think would be pretty interesting. Is there any? I call them Dexcom uh, Abbott wannabes, but is there anybody in that group that stands out to you that you know, like you said, there's like a plethora of these CGM wannabes. Is there anyone that you really you know stands out to you? No, I think the ones that did in the past they didn't get funded. <laughs> <laughs> People, they're all leaving and looking for other jobs. So I just, you know, I, right now there's, there's, there's not one on, on my list where I think it's going to be a disrupt, disruptor. Great. And, and now you, again, you know, here's your, another commercial shot. You just published, explain again to everybody what you just published, this new report. Our new report is our international diabetes blue book. And so it's, it's all device focused on pumps and CGM. And it, it takes over, you know, we've always historically just looked at the U.S. But with 780G kind of launching in non-U.S. markets, we wanted to get an early read of how that product is doing in Europe and then you know, later on in Australia and Canada. And so we built a database of prescribers that we went out and surveyed. 
And in that, in that finding, we're, uh, even without a new sensor, people will really like that product. The algorithm itself has, has been a big improvement and it's keeping people in closed loop a lot, you know, longer without kicking them out the way 670 did. So in the, this, this book profiles country by country, kind of the diabetes market, the reimbursement, you know, structure and who the major players are uh, in this country. And do you have something in the pipeline you're going to publish pretty yeah. soon? Anything yeah, or? yeah. So every year we do two major uh, studies, primary research studies in the U.S. with HCPs. So these were diabetes educators, endos, and primary care docs. We get about three to four hundred responses uh, in these surveys. So that's the one that will be published in a week or so is our, our our winter survey, and we cover everything in that survey. We cover pharma, so we have rodalsis and all those kind of things in there. We have, you know, CGM, we have pumps, and then we also have a lot on telehealth and the, the impact of COVID in that book. We've also partnered with Beyond Type 1 to create a survey specifically in Spanish, you know, for the Spanish-speaking community because we believe that that's an underserved community within diabetes. And we want to understand, you know, what the unmet needs are and how companies can address that. Well, Eric, this has been great. This has been a pleasure. You know, and everybody knows, you go to my website, you'll get all of his information. If you need to reach out to him, you can reach out to me, and I'll reach out, hook you up. But it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and have a great weekend.